Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Do you know a saint? I don't know one. Well, we do. We don't know it. You can be a living, breathing saint now if you're in a state of grace. And in fact, children, when they're baptized completely free of original sin without any stain are saints as well sometimes thinking about that when i'm you know taking care of my baby you're a saint like she's not capable of sin right now she is has received the sanctifying grace from our lord jesus christ god and the in the gift and the absolute gift of the sacrament of baptism it's pretty cool but my guest today in just a little bit will be reggie little john she's the founder of women's rights without frontiers which helps save babies and their mothers and families in the face of the what was the one child now two child two and three child policy in china where they have forced abortion, forced sterilization to this day. She saved countless children, and her work that she does now was inspired, actually, by knowing St. Mother Teresa and having worked with her. So she'll join us to share her story in just a little bit here on Trending. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. Photo-enhancing apps. I will tell you, I'm not a fan of them. They have always deeply disturbed me and made me feel uncomfortable there's almost this inhuman dimension of it whether it's the merging of two people's faces making your face look a little more animal-like or even just the cutting off of certain portions of the face even with the contour i'm not a fan of it i don't use it and when i say it makes you feel uncomfortable it just does there's something deep-seated inside me that is uneasy when using it that said i know a lot of people get a huge lark out of mixing their faces with other people Uh, a lot of people enjoy this and there's some really great funny stories about this in fact i was talking to a family member recently my husband's family is lebanese and we were talking about some of these emerging faces and how they were getting ready to meet a fiance of one of the family members and how how they took the combination of the male fiance's face and one of the aunts and merged their face together and made a joke about how one of the aunts is going to be picking her up and it turned into a very 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 wooly mammoth hairy version of a person and they're trying to startle her as to what the aunt would look like it was very funny right so i get it it can be a lark just to see what two faces combined together would look like to maybe even play a prank about a family member who is coming into the family but here's what's new. Romini recently released a new part of what is powered by artificial intelligence of image creation. And this is what has continued to keep it at the top of the charts. What's happening here is the latest feature allows you to merge together a somewhat realistic image of yourself, not just in various stages of your life as you age, but even in different phases of your life. So for example, 
People have used it to see what they would look like in a wedding dress, what a woman might look like pregnant, how you might look cradling a child closely, or even what a baby would look like with a particular person. Here's what's kind of creepy and interesting. This almost is kind of a blast of the past where people would imagine, oh, well, what if I married Brad Pitt or whoever the latest hunk in Hollywood is? What would our children look like? This takes it even further. You could take someone who's a stranger or someone you know, merge your face with that person, and here's what your babies could look like potentially. Now, could your babies really look like that? Potentially. We aren't God. God is God, and he will create that unique, distinct human being. So it's fun, but it's also, I think, somewhat dangerous. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But here's what's fascinating. This AI-generated child image of you you and whoever that other person is, is, I think, triggering a lot of baby fever. And it's not surprising. I think there are a lot of perspectives on this. Millennials, we know, statistically, aren't getting married, are getting married later in life, and are having fewer and fewer children. How they are perceiving themselves and looking at their hopes and goals in the near future is actually being impacted by this app. Baby fever, the baby contagion, continues. Whether or not that actually comes to a baby boom or not, we'll see. But it was interesting. The Wall Street Journal's even picked up on this new trend. And there's a comment from one of the Romini users in the Wall Street Journal article saying that after using the app, she confessed feelings of motherhood rushed over me. And now she finds herself more inclined to pursue family life. I thought that was really interesting. So here's my take on it on this whole Romini app that can generate images of future children, children of you with a particular individual. It is, I think, both very hopeful and sad at the same time. Sad in the sense that I think there are a lot of people who long for children, have missed that opportunity because of their attempt at delayed fertility or absolute avoidance of having children. I think that there are a lot of people who are post-abortive who are looking and using this app saying, well, what if? I wonder what my baby would have looked like. And think about it. If you confuse together the images of you and someone else, they don't need to give their consent to try and create what potentially that baby could look like. Now, we know that that's not what those babies will look like or did look like who were aborted, but it's leaving, I think, women who are suffering from a real pain, whether it's from never having a child or a lost child to abortion or maybe even miscarriage, it it has, I think, that sorrowful aspect to it. But it also has a really neat aspect. And this is, I think, something we should talk about. That hopeful picture of what would it be like to have a family? We live in a very visual culture. We love to visualize and see things. And I find, especially even with my generation, the millennial generation, I saw my peers in college and even my peers now who are in their 30s who struggle with the idea of having children or were afraid of it then in college. And I was always taken by those comments and I didn't wrestle with them too much, but I would always just look at my friends and say, you know, I think you'd be a really good mom when the time came and it's okay if you're afraid to be a mom. You're not even married yet. It's kind of scary to think about being a single mom. It's scary to think about being a parent without a second parent. So I think it's reasonable for there to be fear and discomfort. Especially considering the culture we live in 
and the fact that there are many wounds from perhaps your own parents and how those wounds make us fearful about, well, could I ever be a father? Could I ever be a mother? I didn't have a mom. I didn't have a dad. Or maybe I didn't have a very good mom or dad. So I think there's a lot to this app that, again, touches on a sensitive point in the culture of lost motherhood, lost children, the inability to have children, but also pricking that desire for children that the culture is terrified, absolutely terrified to engage in. And I think that's interesting. I have a friend who she has children and even with the children she has, she struggles. She struggles as a mother. She struggles to connect and bond with them. She struggles with that tug and pull between motherhood and being in the career that she wants and finding greater value and thinking that she's happier at work and that she's not that great of a mom and that her husband's better at raising the kids. And the thing that changes her mindset over and over again is when someone tells her she's a good mom, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a family member, whether it's a friend, whether it's a stranger, when someone tells her she's a good mom, it puts her on cloud nine. She is ready to do anything as a parent. And so I think this is something to be taken into consideration when we look at a culture that is so disconnected with regard to not getting married, not having children. We need to help them dream about having children, to believe in themselves that they can be parents, that realistically no parent fully feels equipped to be a parent. And even the stages that each parent goes through is a new stage, a new unknown, a new unknown with a particular child. Perhaps you went through one stage with one but another child took that to that stage totally differently. Now, I think there's so much unknown and fear, even when you're in parenthood or even the, with the idea or thought of it. And yet this app is sparking, I think, a lot of conversation about baby fever that could bring hope to the conversation around parenthood. And I think that's something that we as people of faith need to enter into the conversation by modeling parenthood, being honest about the toys, but also honest about the challenges. We need to work on exposing ourselves better to parenthood, especially if you're single or married or even afraid of it. I can tell you've never been a huge fan of children. I love my own. I also love really well-behaved children, but I'm not crazy about children. Yeah, I knew even when I was single or even when I didn't have kids yet, and even now, it's important I spend time around kids and work on my tolerance. Work on building those relationships. It's important that we encourage people to have kids, that it's a good thing, that yes, it is challenging. Everything from trying to get pregnant for some people, myself included, to going through your pregnancy could be really difficult. I had a couple of difficult pregnancies, especially the last one, to being honest about the day-to-day -day being difficult, but also seeing the joy that is always present just because there's trial doesn't mean there's joy and even happiness. And I think that this is the open conversation that we need to have about fear and concern surrounding being a parent. And this is a pro-life perspective that will help in saving and changing lives when it comes to a culture that needs to think of abortion as unthinkable. You're listening to Trending with Timur here on Relevant Radio. Coming up will be Reggie Littlejohn. She'll join me to share about how knowing and working with Saint Mother Teresa inspired the life-saving work that she does today with her organization that she founded, Women's Rights Without Frontiers, that helps save babies 
from abortion, save babies from the forced sterilization and gender side in their mothers that occur. We'll be right back here with Reggie Little John. Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Joining me now is Reggie Littlejohn. She is the founder of Women's Rights Without Frontiers, and she knew a at the time, living, breathing saint, that is St. Mother Teresa. Now, St. Mother Teresa is part of what inspired her to do the work she does today with her organization that helps fight the force one child, or now three, two, three child policy. It's kind of complicated. We'll briefly touch on that as well in China, as well as gender side there in China, India, and other places. We're going to unpack today how she had the opportunity to meet and work with St. Mother Teresa. Reggie, welcome to Trending. Oh, thank you so much, Timory. It's wonderful to be back. I'd like to dive into your story because uh, we I happened to come across some months ago a picture of you with St. Mother Teresa many years ago and became so excited because I love the work you do. And right away I saw the crossover to her own work and her love for the sick as well as unwed mothers and children who had been abandoned. Can you tell us a little bit about how you came to meet Mother Teresa and work with her? Well, it's pretty interesting because um, at the time, I was, I was not a practicing Catholic at all, um, and, and we were going to go to India, and I thought, you know, hey, I'll just stop by and see Mother Teresa, and little did I know, you know, the incredible impact that she was going to have on my life. Um, so we, my husband and I uh, went to the door, the, Mother Teresa is called um, Mother Teresa Bhavan, Mother Teresa's house. And at the time, and I think probably even today, every cab driver um, knew exactly where Mother Teresa lived. All you had to say is Mother Teresa Bhavan. And we knocked oh. on the big door. It's like a concrete block building. We knocked on this tall, big, heavy door. And two little sisters, so sweet-faced, opened the door. And was like, hi, how can I help you? What would you like? And, and we said, we, we would like to volunteer with Mother Teresa. And they opened the door and just let us in. We just walked right in. And um, so there were some stairs up, you know, to, 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 to this little office, which I'll describe. But on the stairs was that famous crucifix of Jesus where underneath it says, I thirst. Um, so that made an, an immediate impression um, of Jesus, you know, crucified thirsting for soul. And then we sat mm-hmm. outside on this little bench outside of the office, and I saw this flurry to my, uh, to my right, and it was Mother Teresa coming down the hall. And she, and she personally greeted each one of us. So she took each one of our hands in her hands and just said, oh, very good, very good, to each one of us. Oh, oh very wow. good, very good. Uh, her hands were very um, soft and warm and enveloping, and they just communicated uh, love and compassion. I, I, no one has taken my hands in her hands the way that Mother Teresa did. You know, you can, you can, 
you can learn so much about a person just by the way that they shake your hands. This was not a handshake. This was like an embrace of our hands between mm-hmm. her hands. And that was my introduction to her. But there's so much more that happened between uh, her and me in the ensuing six weeks that I, I, I uh, worked there. And she was actually encouraging me to become a member of her uh, order by the end of it. Uh, oh, wow. And um, I think I would have if I hadn't been married. I was just newly married. <laughs> <laughs> Did she know you were married? <laughs> well, okay, so this is this. I mean, okay, that's kind of no. She okay. Let me tell you the story because I don't want to blow the end of it. Um, but so her order at the time, and I think even to this day, is very open and welcoming of volunteers. So every morning they had mass at like five thirty in the morning, something like that, and then every afternoon they had holy hour. Again, I think it was at 4.30, 5.30. So I came late to my first holy hour, and I walked in, into this, this very stark chapel that they had there. So this chapel had a hard concrete floor, a couple of little windows, a very basic altar, you know, with a crucifix, and, and a monstrance, and, and, and they were saying the rosary uh, and in such a beautiful way. It was very almost mesmerizing because... They were going back and forth with the Hail Marys. One side of the room said, would start the prayer. The other side would, would finish the prayer back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Anyway, I noticed Mother Teresa to the left at the back of the room and thought to myself, okay, I don't want her to notice me, so I'm just going to sneak in. So I snuck in the back of the room to the right and knelt down. And what they had for you to kneel on was a burlap sack. So all of these nuns were kneeling on this concrete, including Mother Teresa at her age, kneeling on this concrete, you know, floor on a burlap sack. So I was um. kneeling on this sack, um, and then and just sort of wondering where we were. And I felt this presence above me, and looked up, and, and there was Mother Teresa. And I thought, oh no, I I, I disturbed her during her rosary. <laughs> So she bent down and very gently showed me the bead that we were on and then then went back to her place. And I thought to myself, okay, if I don't want to get Mother Teresa up in the middle of her rosary, I need to be on time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that was just an indication of of the way she was. I mean, she was willing to interrupt her rosary for somebody who was rudely late, you know, in order to help them and show them what bead they're on. So as we were filing out, she took me aside, and I don't know why, okay? I don't know why she took me aside. There were a lot of volunteers. And she said, I would like you to be my apostle of the rosary. And I said, yes, mother, because that's what you say. That's, that's the only choice. <laughs> that's what you say. Okay, yes, mother. All right. Yes, mother, what's the apostle of the rosary? And she said, I want you to hand out rosaries to everybody when they come in the door. And I, and I said, yes, mother, I will do so, All right? And then I left, and I thought to myself, okay, she's already seen that the only way she's going to get me to holy, to holy hour on time is by giving me a job you know, that, that has to happen before holy hour. A so loving the next punishment. Day, oh, I know, I know. So, so, but, but listen, okay, so the next day I show up early, right? That's an accomplishment for me. And I'm handing out rosaries. And most people took them, but some people didn't take them. And they said things like, no, I already have a rosary, or no, I don't want a rosary. And I'm like, okay, fine. I thought I did my, my job well. So we say the rosary, and then, she, then afterwards she calls me to stand beside her as people are leaving. 
And every person she asked, did you get a rosary from her? Did you get a rosary from my apostle of the rosary? And the people who didn't get one said no. And they, and they didn't say why. They didn't say, I told her I don't want one. Or I told her I already have one. They didn't say that. They just said no. So, so afterwards, she, 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 she looks at me and she says, you must do better, my child. And, oh and my I, said, I said, yes, mother, you are right. I'll do better tomorrow. I mean, this is the only option. You don't say, look, they didn't tell <laughs> you, you. I mean, you don't defend yourself to Mother Teresa, okay? So I just said, what yes, I'm sorry. What an act of I'm humility. What, what inspired that humility? Did not say, well, Mother, they didn't want one. Well, there's something about her that you just, you just don't defend yourself. It's like you just say yes. I mean, that's it. That's the, op- that's the only option. That, that's how I felt. I mean, I don't know how anybody else would feel, but I just felt like I'm not going to argue with Mother Teresa. I'm just not, okay? So the next day I show up early, and I forced everyone to take a rosary. <laughs> so I became like the Gestapo or the groceries. Like, would you, ta- would you like a rosary? No, you have to have this rosary. I don't want it. You have to have it. Oh, I'm going to get in trouble, okay? You take it. Here. Put it in your you, pocket. You know. Here. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and so then um, – I, I, got, I gave everybody a rosary. <laughs> and so then as, as they were all leaving, she said, did she give you a rosary? Did my apostle of the rosary give you a rosary? And everybody said wow. yes. And then she turned to me and she said, well done, my child. I said, thank you, mother. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, so, that, <laughs> so that was sort of my, you know, that was sort of my introduction to Mother Teresa. But we ended up staying there for six weeks and, and working at various homes. Um, and I can tell you many, many more stories about her and me. Um, but, yeah, so that's the beginning. Now, was your intention, and if you're just joining us, you're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. That's Reggie Littlejohn. She's the founder of Women's Rights Without Frontiers that helps to save uh, children from the forced child, um, forced abortion policy and sterilization in China, as well as fighting gender side. And her work was inspired in many ways, by meeting, knowing, and working with St. Mother Teresa. Now, Reggie, when you were originally traveling, if I know correctly, you're just planning on traveling at the time. You're with your husband. Did you plan on staying in Calcutta and working with St. Mother Teresa for six weeks? And if not, how did oh, that not happen? not for six weeks. Well, yeah, I mean, so we were traveling around the world, and our, and, 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 you know, so my intention on that trip you know, I was a very secular person before I worked with Mother Teresa, but my intention on the trip was basically I knew I was going to want to start a family, and so I wanted to see the world before starting the family because once I started the family, I figured it would be another 20 years before I could see the world, right? So that was the intention. It was really more almost curiosity-driven, you know, and we traveled everywhere. I mean, we went to Asia, to Africa, to Europe. And then um, after that, I actually became a travel writer. I've traveled all over the place. And, you know, I'm very grateful to have done that because I have a knowledge of the world that I would not have had if I hadn't done that. And also a lot of places now you can't even go to because, the, you know, so much violence has happened in them that you know, right. I, can, I wouldn't be able to go to these places anymore. So, so I'm very grateful that we did that. And I did intend to work with Mother Teresa, but I had intended only to work with her for three weeks. And after three weeks, I just, you know, I, I couldn't leave. It's like, I, ha- I can't leave. I can't leave this place. I, you know, I just had to stay. And so we, we extended it for another three weeks. So we were there for six weeks. 
Now, you said that, so, that Mother Teresa wanted you to join her order. You didn't share. Did she know that you said she didn't know that you were married at the time? Your husband was there volunteering as well, correct? Okay, so let me, I'm going to tell I have to tell you a story before I tell you that story. So, as I, so, so there was a, 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 a priest from New Jersey that was taking his vacation in Calcutta, and during his vacation, he was giving a retreat to the sisters. And, you know, typical of Mother Teresa, she had him give a special session, like every day, a special session to the volunteers. I mean, she was so loving and caring towards the volunteers. So this particular session, the priest was saying, um, every person has a special name that's only known. Uh, it, 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 you will find out what your special name is in heaven. And it's only known between you and God. Um, and I just was pondering, you know, I wonder what my name is in heaven. I wonder, you know, wow, you know, that's, that's just such a cool idea. So the, after the, the um, talk was over, the, the uh, volunteers were filing out, and Mother Teresa was standing there waiting for me, okay? And she took me aside, <laughs> and, 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 she, and she said, heart full of love, you must take the sorry. So when she called me heart full of love, I felt like that was my heavenly name. I felt like she had somehow discerned that that was my heavenly name because I really, I really responded to that. And then she said, you must take the sorry. Okay. The sorry meaning the habit that they wear. And she wasn't even saying, are you interested? She said, you must take the sorry. Okay. Okay. Um, that she was not really into suggestion. <laughs> you know, she was absolutely into, uh, you know, say speaking She's her a good mind. Mom, she told you what to do. <laughs> she was telling me what to do. She was telling me what to do. And and I said, Mother, I I would love to. And, and oh, but and then the other thing, I wish I'd taken her up on this, um, but I I didn't think it was right for me to do it because. I knew I couldn't be a part of her order. If I had to do it over again, I would have. I would have asked her if I could take her up on this. But she said, "Would you come and live with our sisters for a couple of weeks and see whether oh. this is is a life for you?" And wow. instead of saying, "Yeah, wouldn't that have been something?" Mm-hmm. I mean, wow. that would have been the experience of a lifetime. And I wish I had done it. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of those things you <laughs> kick yourself over. You um, could tell her about your you husband know, later. <laughs> yeah. No, no. <laughs> No, I said, Mother, I would love to, and I'm so honored that you asked, but I'm married. This is my husband, and my husband was standing next to me, and he had been next to me every time we went into her, you know, when we were working in the different homes, when we went to, you know, Mass, when we went to Holy Hour, he was always next to me. It never occurred to her that he was my husband. I don't, Mm. you know, and, and, and so she just kind of looked at us, and then she said, that's that's fine. You can become lay missionaries of charity. Mm. And 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 I said, oh, uh, what's that? So she went up to that little office I told you about. And I'm going to tell you something about the office. All right. I at the time was a law student at Yale Law School, and I had spent a couple summers as a summer associate in litigation. Once one of them was in litigation, we had something called the War Room, and that room was a, a large room. Floor to ceiling, just banks and banks and banks of files. And, and these are the documents that you use to defend your client against whatever the other guy is saying about them. Okay? Everything is documented. 
her entire order, all the administration, was in this little rickety file cabinet. That was it. She, had, she was in 120 countries, I think, at the time. One file cabinet. There was no sister that was dedicated to administration. All of them were, were serving the poor. So she goes into the file cabinet, and she takes out this document that was a long document. It was like 20 pages, and it was typewritten on onion skin paper, and it was signed in her hand at the end. And that was the, the order or the rules for the lay missionaries of charity. And if I had been a not nice person, I could have just taken that and not given it back, and she, would, she didn't have a copy. I mean, that was it. Wow, so this was the um, original she, rules that she created for the missionaries of charity. Not for the missionaries of charity, for the lay missionaries of charity. Okay. So the lay missionaries of charity are, are lay people who take the same vows as the missionary of charity. So it's poverty, chastity, obedience, and wholehearted, um, you know, giving yourself wholeheartedly to the poorest of the poor. But you do it as a lay person, and the chastity part um, is is conjugal chastity. So in other words, they're not asking you to, to be chaste. Or, I mean, you're, yes, it's chaste. You're chaste with your husband, right? But that was actually the problem. <laughs> My husband, he looked through this document. It's like, no sex on Sundays, no sex on holy days, no sex at this time, no sex at that time. And he's like, you know what? We just got married. This is not what I signed up for. <laughs> I'm not embarrassing your, your listeners. I'm sorry, no. Tim Marie. I don't know if this is, like, too much, but um, maybe too much information, but... <laughs> Anyway, so in other words, you had to decline. (laughs) Yeah, we had to decline. Okay, we had to decline. Um, But that's sort of my story of Mother Teresa encouraging me to become a member of her order. And as I said, if I had not been married, I really believe that I would have done it. I really believe I would have done it. So you told Mother no twice. You told her no to joining not only her order because you were married, but then you told her no to join the Missionaries of Charity as well. The lay Missionaries of Charity, yeah. I mean, I, you know, you can't do it without your husband's cooperation. He just, he, he was not, right. you know, he was not going to do it. He didn't want, not want to do it. I mean, you can imagine a young man just married is like, what? I'm not going <laughs> to, you know, right. I'm not going to do this. This is, right. I, you know, I, this, you know, so he... So, um, so anyway, that that was uh, that that nixed that. But even if I did not become a member of her order, I mean, she had a profound, profound impact on on me. Yeah. Um, so you actually worked in her abandoned mm-hmm. girls' home. Can you share with us a little bit about that? Sure. So, and and that's that's the place I think that had the greatest impact for me. So. It, it, there's a home called Shisha Bhavan, and it's for abandoned babies, and usually babies. I, um, and I think any baby that's abandoned would be brought into that home. But I didn't see any boys there. They were all girls. Um, and, and that was where she really spoke to my heart her ministry really spoke to my heart about um, about the value of every life. So there was a girl there that was lying in a bed. She was unable to lift her head. She was about three feet long, and and her body was very severely contorted. Like all of her um, limbs were going out in different directions. 
Uh, I mean, she couldn't lift her head. She couldn't stand. She couldn't sit up. She couldn't do anything. And her jaw either was dislocated or it had never been formed because the sister asked me to feed that, that, that young girl, um, this porridge. And so I tried to feed it to her with her head lying back and it would just run down her cheeks into her ears. And then I tried to lift her head and feed it to her with her head lifted and it would run down her chin and onto her chest. So I finally said to the sister, um, how do you know how how do I do this? Because I just don't seem like I'm being very successful. You know, either anything I try is not very good. And the sister said, "Oh, you're doing fine. That's just how she eats." And then she said, um, wow. "Why don't you ask her? You know, why don't you talk to her?" And then I realized that because she was in such terrible physical shape, I had assumed that you know that 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 the same would be true of her mind and that and that showed me mm-hmm. something about myself that I didn't even realize was like a prejudice that I had that you know that I, uh, so anyway I, I I didn't know what to say to her so I finally said okay so how did you enjoy your breakfast <laughs> you know with her poor porridge in her hair and her ears and all down her chin and her face you know. and and she broke into the most beatific Radiant smile I have mm. ever seen in my life. Wow. That's how she wanted to, sh- to show me how much she appreciated my effort. Wow. And at that moment, I realized that I was in the presence of a spiritual giant. Because this woman, so I found out, she looked like she was about three years old. She was 21 years old. Wow. This woman, in circumstances that w- would have made me feel really bitter, was a a luminous, radiant soul just beaming joy and love towards everyone. And 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 when and, and in that smile I understood Mother Teresa and her commitment towards every person as being of mm-hmm. infinite value and it doesn't matter what you look like, what your limitations are, um, that you are a human being of absolute infinite and, and eternal value. So that that was a profound experience for me. That's Reggie Little John joining us now on Trending with Timmer. He heard here on Relevant Radio her encounter with St. Mother Teresa changed her life and inspired the work she does today. We're going to come back a little bit to talk about the work she does today with uh, the issue of gender side and forced abortion in China. And we're going to talk more about how St. Mother Teresa inspired this incredible work. That's Reggie Little John from Women's Rights Without Frontiers. Again, that's Women's Rights Without Frontiers. We'll include a link in the show notes as well if you'd like to check out her and her incredible work. We'll be right back on Trending. Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Joining me now is Reggie Littlejohn. She's the founder of Women's Rights Without Frontiers. It works to help women to save them from forced abortion and save their children, especially in China. She also faces and confronts the issue of gender side. She actually was inspired to do the work that she does today by meeting and working with 
our very own St. Mother Teresa. She's been sharing about some of her work with St. Mother Teresa in Calcutta for six weeks. Before we continue to share a little bit more about working with St. Mother Teresa and how that inspired what you're now doing, you shared that you actually encountered gender side for the first time some years before in a prior visit to India. Uh, for those who don't know, gender side is where there's a selective choice to abort a child based on that child's sex. And in places such as India, China, and even superficially here in the United States, we can see this, where people will prefer a girl over a boy usually in China and India, and often boys over girls here in the United States. Reggie, can you share a little bit about your first encounter with this? Yes, but um, actually in China and India, they, they prefer boys over girls. Yes, that's right. I said it backwards. Okay. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, so it's important. So, yeah, um, I, this is back in, gosh, 1985. I, I went to India by myself. And I was in this city called Varanasi, or Banaras, two names for the same city. And um, I wanted to take a boat ride on the Ganges River. So I was getting into this little boat. And as I was stepping into the boat, out of the corner of my eye, I noticed something floating in the water just kind of right at my feet, right at the shore. And I looked down. And I was shocked and horrified to see that it was a baby girl, like a fully formed, looked like it was a nine-month baby girl, full-term baby, just floating in the water. Um, And I, and, and gosh, I mean, I can't even tell you how shocked I was to see that. Um, And, and the guy who was running the boat was like, ah, don't worry about that. That's nothing. Um, so that that was my introduction to gender side, and um, it's really rampant in China and India. Mm-hmm. Both both of those countries greatly prefer boys over girls. So that was that's that's the introduction. Wow. Now this was years before you ended up working with Saint Mother Teresa. At that time, were you already kind of thinking like this isn't okay? This has to stop, or was it something a memory that was there in your past that kind of resurrected years later and inspired what you do now? Well, I mean, it, it's a variety of things. So, seeing the the the, the brutality of that, you know, I mean, they must. That, to me, I, I don't know how that baby girl got there, other than that she was born and they just drowned her or something. You know. Mm-hmm. Then working with Mother Teresa and all of those baby girls in Shisha Bhavan and how completely, you know, adorable uh, they were and so worthy of life. And then um, I had an, a, another experience, which was when I was an attorney, um, I had two miscarriages. I'm so sorry. And so... Uh, Losing the, those babies that I wanted was, mm. when I heard about the forced abortion in, in China and also the sex-selective abortion of baby girls, I think it hit me on a gut level that it wouldn't have if I had not already suffered these two um, miscarriages. Mm. So the gender side, the, the the forced abortion in China is something that is, imposed by the government. The government says, you don't have permission to have this baby. So under the one-child policy, it would be for single mothers 
and second children. Under the three-child policy, the new rule is every married couple is allowed to have three children. So people who are unmarried are still subject to forced abortion, and fourth children are subject to forced abortion. Thus, by the government, gender side, the sex-selective abortion of baby girls is something that is culturally enforced, usually by the husband and by his mother, all right? Mm-hmm. And so there's still forced abortions because most of these women do not want to, to abort their daughters or abandon their daughters. They're being pressured into it by their husbands and, and their mother-in-law, sometimes their father-in-law, but usually the mother-in-law. So that's a species of forced abortion as well. And, um, and even though I never underwent the trauma of a forced abortion, because of my miscarriage, I knew what it was like to lose babies that I wanted. And so that, I think, also um, is part of the inspiration behind when I found out about forced abortion in China, when I found out about sex-selective abortion, that I was willing to commit my, my life to ending it um, in a way that I might not have been if I hadn't had my own miscarriages. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. What an incredible um an incredible testimony to the pain that our Lord sometimes allows us to experience in our life that can be so profound in all of these experiences from seeing that child who was a product of infanticide, a baby who was killed, um, born alive for being a girl, to your own experiences with miscarriage, and then working with these abandoned baby girls as they were growing up with St. Mother Teresa because of that gender side there in India it inspired incredible work that you do today. And for those who aren't familiar, can you share a little bit about Women's Rights Without Frontiers? Well, sure. So we, um, we oppose forced abortion and the sex-selective abortion of baby girls in China. We're trying to get to India, um, but every time I try to go, that we can't because of the COVID lockdowns. Um, because there's, there's also, you know, sex-selective abortion in India, as we discussed. But... Um, we are an advocacy organization and also have direct aid. So in terms of advocacy, I've t- testified like nine times at the U.S. Congress, you know, the, the European Parliament, the British Parliament, the Irish Parliament, Canadian Parliament. I don't know how many times I've spoken at the United Nations. I've briefed the Vatican, the State Department, the White House. So that's all advocacy, like briefing people on the reality of forced abortion. And especially since um, China, you know, had a two-child, became, you know, they, they um, instituted the new three-child policy. People need to understand forced abortion is continuing because single women are still um, uh, subject to forced abortion. Fourth children are still subject to forced abortion. And as a fourth child myself, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm here to advocate for fourth children. But um, also in Xinjiang, uh, the the... Chinese Communist Party is committing genocide against the Uyghurs, and one of the main ways that they're doing it is through forced abortion. So it's still happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's the advocacy a- aspect. And then in terms of the direct action, we are the only organization in the world that has a network on the ground of field workers who are actively saving baby girls from sex-selective abortion, abandonment, and also just horrific um, Poverty that's exacerbated in the countryside by this whole COVID situation, uh, right. because what most of our families are are farmers, and when there's a lockdown, and we and our area has gone through two lockdowns, all right. When there's a lockdown, 
their vegetables just rot and they don't have, they can't get them to market because the trucks can't go to market. And so then they're driven into really desperate poverty. And unfortunately, some of these families have actually considered giving away their baby girl as an extra mouth mm. to feed that they can't afford. Mm. So we have stepped in with, what we do is we give these families $25 a month, so in the equivalent in Chinese uh, currency, to help support those baby girls to keep these families together. It's incredible work what you are doing there. And again, you're the only organization that's on the ground there in China helping to identify and have a network to know women who are struggling, who otherwise would give their baby girls away, have a forced abortion. Women's Rights Without Frontiers is Reggie Littlejohn's organization. It's, and I don't say this lightly, one of my favorite organizations when I look at the work that's being done right now, Women's Rights Without Frontiers. Org to learn a little bit more about what they're doing. Your work, if you're just joining us, Reggie, your work was inspired by having worked alongside St. Mother Teresa. Could you share with us a little bit more about some of what stood out the most to you about Mother and how that really brought you into doing what you're doing right now? Well, two of her outstanding qualities were her humility and her submission to the Lord. So in terms of her humility, she was absolutely not into hero worship in any way. She always was in the background, um, you know, during Holy Hour. She was never trying to put herself forward in any way. And she, <laughs> this is another story. My parents actually came to visit us in Calcutta. And, um, and there's this entryway to where the nuns sleep and you, you can't go in there. All right. And my dad wanted to take a picture of me with mother Teresa. So I knocked on the entryway, you know, it's like, hi, can I please talk to mother Teresa? You know, <laughs> I mean, that, unbelievable. Just sort of the, the, I don't know, the hubris of that. Um, and she came, she, she it. was very sweet. She, she considers every person to be Jesus Christ, including this, you know, snot-nosed volunteer named, you know, Reggie Littlejohn, who just wanted to get a picture. So then, I, you know, I introduced her to my parents, and she was very, very gracious to them. And then my dad said, okay, I'd, I'd like to take a picture. And she was, and she was just so, so gracious about it. Um, and that's where you got that picture, okay? That's the mm -hmm. picture. If you've not um, seen the picture, I posted on social media of Reggie Little John many years ago with the beautiful St. Mother Teresa, both of whom I was in awe when I stumbled across the photo on the internet one day and went, wait, you know St. Mother Teresa? It, what an incredible snapshot of six weeks of your life, Reggie. Right, but she's, she's not the kind of person like some people that if they're in a room, they're talking to you, but their eye is scanning the room to see who else is there that might be a more important person to talk to. You know what I'm saying? Th that's not the way that she was. If you were standing in front of her, she considered that to mean that God put you in front of her and that you are Jesus Christ standing in front of her, no matter whether you are you know, a beggar off the street or whether you are a king or a prince or what, a princess or whatever. She treats everybody the same. And you have her full and undivided attention for as long as you need it. Um, another thing that happened was I was actually assaulted on the subway. Um, oh, wow. So I was, I, I was going to one of the homes, 
I don't remember which one I was going to, on the subway. And this guy, like, grabbed me where you're not supposed to grab somebody, and then he ran away. I tried to chase him, but and I also slugged him, so I, I, that was an issue. So I, I hit him, and then I tried to chase him, but I couldn't catch him because I was wearing um, sandals, and I just couldn't get up the speed. So I went back, you know, in, to Mother Teresa, and I was upset because I felt like I was immature, immature Christian. Now, how could God allow this to happen mm-hmm. to me when I'm going to do this good work for him. You know what I'm saying? Yes. So I, I, I said that to her. First of all, she allowed me. I said to her, Mother Carissa, may I talk to you? And she immediately stepped aside to talk to me, okay? Again, she's totally unprotective of her time. I told her the situation, and she said, I'm so sorry um, that happened to you, but you should never go on the subway by yourself. That's why we always have two sisters going everywhere together. And also, I'm glad that you slugged him because it's important <laughs> to defend yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I mean, you know, what a person. I mean, I'll just, I'll never, ever forget her. Someday I'm going to write a book because I, you know, there's so mm. much that I have to say about her and so much that I have to say about the homes and all I learned there. Um, the, thi- the thing that you really learn about yourself when you're working in one of these homes is what your limits are. Um, so I certainly learned what my limits were and it was a reflection on me, um, and my level of maturity or immaturity at the time. And then you're working next to these sisters that seem to have no limit at all to what they will do for other people. Reggie, what an incredible testimony of how knowing, working with St. Mother Teresa truly changed your life and inspired the life-saving and incredible work you do today womensrightswithoutfrontiers.org is Reggie Littlejohn's website where she battles forced abortion and sex-selective abortion in China and working to battle this in India as well. Reggie, thank you for taking the time. For those who'd like to see the photo today on social media of Reggie Littlejohn alongside St. Mother Teresa during her six weeks where she worked side-by-side with her. Reggie's work at Women's Rights Without Frontiers is truly the only on-the-ground organization helping to save these babies from sex-selective and forced abortion there in China. So please check out the organization, Women's Rights Without Frontiers. Reggie, we're going to have to have you back because there's so many more stories to unpack of your time with St. Mother Teresa and what we can learn from this great saint who you knew. We'll be back on Trending with Timory. Coming up next, the Family Rosary Across America.